0: other for probably a couple years now Uh, we met on Facebook actually which is an interesting story Uh, I belong to several different discussion groups on on Facebook and one of them is specifically focused on tough topics things that are hard to talk about even amongst church people sometimes especially amongst church people because you get on these difficult topics and you find out that the person next to you doesn't necessarily agree with you or doesn't see things the same way and it can really be difficult to, to process Things like abortion, homosexuality, uh, women in leadership, political stuff. There's all kinds of uh, difficult topics to discuss. And we went to that group, those of us who are in it, joined that group with the intention to discuss these things in a healthy way, even though we might disagree. And so it's been a great experience for me. Tyree is one of the leaders and moderators of that group. And one of the things that I really respect about Tyree and really appreciate about him and the main reason that I asked him to come and speak with us today is because he is able in so many ways to help people process these difficult, difficult things without polarization. That is one of the hardest skills I think for people to have is to approach you, no matter whether y- you agree or not, no matter what side of an issue you're you're on, to approach someone being willing to listen, being willing to respect one another in a way that doesn't create division or or conflict. And Tyree's very good at that. So I appreciate that. So will you join me in welcoming Tyree to the platform this morning? I hope that n- oh, that's my fault. <laughs> I hope that no one out there is jealous that we get the really comfortable chairs this morning. <laughs> Welcome, man. It's good to see you. It's it? good to see you. It's good yeah. to have. I guess it's been since uh, last year during the pandemic.
1: During uh, where we go to was it Fudruckers We or? went
0: to Ruckers. That is yeah. not a bad word. I can say that in yeah. church. <laughs> we went to Ruckers and yeah. it was a, a good meal. With I was with Tyree and his wife. Uh, Glory, who mm-hmm. can't be with us this morning, she is busy. But uh, uh, I'm glad she, if she was here, you'd all enjoy meeting her too. Yes, for sure. And yeah. we had a we had a good time talking about some of those tough topics and just what's going on in our lives and how we were dealing at the time, how we were dealing with the shutdown of COVID and and what that looked like. And yeah, it's been an interesting ride. It has been. It yeah. It has been. <laughs> so uh, Tyree, as a way of introducing yourself to the, to the folks here, um, you've worked in churches in the past. Yes and so why don't you tell something about the work that you do now both with churches and outside of sure.
1: churches so um, I was uh, you know background of me I uh, I was raised in a Christian home um, I can remember man like as a kid I had a drug problem and I was like drugged to church like every <laughs> single week <laughs> in every single midweek service like every special <laughs> event I was drugged to church um, <laughs> And uh, so I was raised in a Christian home, mom and dad, both, you know, firm believers. Um, uh, got saved when I was six, baptized when I was seven, moral young person. Um, basically, I knew when not to cuss. You know, <laughs> that's basically what that meant. Um, then um, my father ended up, uh, he passed away when I was 18. And uh, I kind of turned away for the things of God. And it wasn't until I was 21 that I I went all in for Christ. And uh, at the church, I went all in for Christ, March 29, 1998, at the 1040 service. I remember it well. Um, At that church is where I stayed for about 19 years, Served about 14 and a half years of that as the youth pastor. Um, So it's pretty longevity, uh, 14 and a half years. And while I was there, um, I had this desire to um, basically three steps: to pray for people, care for people, share the gospel with people, and that was just like my main focus. And so while I was there, that's how we just developed uh, the, the youth ministry. I started out in preteen ministry, which was eleven and twelve year olds, because they just needed someone. They needed a warm adult body to just fill the class, right? Um, and so I was there. We started out with seven kids. I remember we had to bring in chairs because ten showed up. We had like double digits, and. Um, <laughs> And uh, 10, then went to 30, and we had, like, stinky preteen boys, like, fogging up the window, smelling like onions in the room. And uh, we were like, we need a bigger space. And so we developed the middle school ministry, and then that 30 multiplied to 60 students. Um, and then I transitioned the middle school to high school. Uh, we ended up going from 60 to about 120. And all we knew, all I knew was prayer care share. Like, it wasn't like, come to church to get an iPad know come to church and get some money it was literally like we're going to pray for people we're going to care for people and then we're going to equip you to share the gospel with, with people and so that's how I multiplied no church budget like no youth group budget um just basically ba- based on that then we had like a change in leadership which was a good thing um but uh the philosophy of ministry of the pastor didn't it wasn't uh, we just had different philosophies of ministry it wasn't a sin issue. It was just like a different philosophy, and so um, while I was youth pastor, I was involved with a ministry called Dare to Share, and they trained students and leaders how to share the gospel, uh, to see every student everywhere hear the gospel from a friend. And I was like, that is in my wheelhouse, and so um, I decided to um, uh, help them out with with them, and they were helping me out as, as a youth leader. Um, I sit on the council of that ministry, Dare, Dare to Share. Help them develop the curriculum, the courses, uh, reaching out to youth pastors. And right now, I have an online um, youth ministry coaching program that is—it's a, a gospel advancing ministry, which uh, helps uh, youth ministers and, you know, and big people ministers <laughs> um, how to uh, make sure they see every student everywhere hear the gospel from a friend, or every adult in their community hear the gospel from a friend. And also said from a friend, not from like the pastor, because the myth is um, when you have a friend, you bring them to church and I call it like a uh, let me forward you to my manager style of evangelism. It's like, you know, I have a have a friend and they don't know Jesus. Here, pastor, tell my friend about Jesus. <laughs> right? yeah, I don't know if you ever went to get a car and you go there and you talk to the salesperson. they get you to a certain point. Then they say, hold on, let me take you to my manager. He'll close the deal. Right. <laughs> And and so I believe in Christianity in the church, we do that to our pastors a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get our friend to a certain point of, hey, come to church. And once they're there, we forward you to my manager, right? And there's no, like, follow-up. And I believe that the most important person to share the gospel with your neighbor is you. Mm -hmm. Because you are their neighbor. God placed you beside them for a reason. Mm -hmm. He didn't place your pastor beside them. He placed us beside our neighbors and um i know some of you may be familiar with uh roi but the greatest return on investment when it comes to discipleship is you literally sharing the gospel with your friend because you see your friend often at work at school um wherever you see them and so it's the greatest relationship that you can have but what that does is it causes us to live rightly before them and that could be an issue a lot of times it's because we're not as consistent in our christian walk. So um long story short that's basically what i do with uh churches just help them develop gospel advancing ministries that they can see um every adult in their community every student in their community hear the gospel from a friend yeah yeah yeah
0: sounds like that's i mean it's i was going to ask you you know what drives you as a person and a minister and i mean in the first three minutes you told (laughs) us you know like i'm driven to to pray for people to care for people and to share share the the gospel gospel. and it's just a beautiful simple way of approaching the christian life
1: mm-hmm. yeah i take a play from the book of acts um you become witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria and the outermost parts of of the world you know so that's like jerusalem like the people you see judea um your neighbors the samaritans the people across the across the tracks <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what i mean that you don't normally familiar side familiar rise yourself with in the outermost parts of the earth so it's a lot of times where you know we'll We'll do mission trips, and we'll give the people overseas. But then, if they were to come sit beside us or move into our neighborhood, we wouldn't want nothing to do with them. Hmm. I think God's like, "What are you really doing? Like, what's what's really going on?" Mm-hmm. And so, it's kind of easy to serve people from a, on, in thorough countries, but it's it's harder to deal with those that are on the other side of the tracks that look like those people. Hmm. Um, now, that's where the brother meets the road. That's where our Christianity needs to be more consistent. I yeah. think so. I th- that's where I like the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, out- outermost parts of the earth. This is Great. reach them all. This is Great. chuck seeds and go get them.
0: <laughs> chuck seeds, yeah. <laughs> Come back to that, I'm sure. <laughs> Chucking seeds, yeah. right? Uh, you'll hear more about that later, I think. Um, so, are there any, as you think back about your upbringing and your time in ministry, are there any personal stories that, that you'd want to share about experiences you've had that were really meaningful in your life, helped shape who you are now?
1: Yeah, so. um, My dad was, uh, my dad grew up in a town called Cambridge, Maryland, and it's on the, um, it's uh, on the Eastern Shore, and he grew up in the time of redlining, and if you're not familiar with redlining is, the uh, banks would like, um, literally have a map and create like red lines, and anyone within the red lines, you wouldn't, you know, they didn't get loans, um, they didn't get business opportunities. Uh so he grew up in a very segregated time. Uh he then uh he lived with his mom. He then moved to Hagerstown, Maryland, where I, I grew up and lived with his dad to another like redlined area. And um from there he ended up uh going into the uh going into the war. Um after the war he went to the uh he got the he got a GI Bill to be able to go to college. And while he was in college, he took a public speaking class, and the lady just saw something special in, in my dad. And so she knew someone who knew someone who knew someone that worked at IBM hmm. and um, said, I don't know if he knows much about computers, but he has strong like leadership uh, skills. And so uh, I stamped my name of approval on him. Uh, you should look to him to get a job. And so... They hired my dad, um, he killed it in the interview process. He became um, one of the first black men in the region to work at IBM. Hmm. Um, and so, that decision of that lady began to change the course of the Sterling household. Um, and so, uh, because that opportunity was pr- presented. He was able to move out from a redlined area, move to a um, have an apartment, uh, my mom, she grew up in Lancaster. You know, so I, I know the name. I'm calling Lancaster because you know when people you know when people aren't familiar with it, because they call it Lancaster. They're like, "Have you been in Lancaster?" I'm like, "You have no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> <laughs> been to sight and sound up in Lancaster. You have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and uh, and so I, I remember um, she grew up in, in Lancaster uh, in a place called Sunnyside. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, the school district would, would be McCaskey. So, again, another another area, another Samaritan-type area, right, for, for many people. Um, and I remember going there, and it being like a um, missions trip, like, from where I'm at to there. I remember, like, going through the country. I'm like, was that a horse pulling a, pulling a box? Like, what? <laughs> what? what's going on? Because I, I kind of lived in the city. I was like, what in the world? is going on here and he just let him poop on the on the on the side of the road like is there no coof right <laughs> and um and and so you know going to su- sunnyside and uh that there was outhouses and i'm like this is cool but to the people are like this is not cool you have no idea what you're talking about right <laughs> um and i'm like this is like man until it got cold and you had to then that's another story yeah. right and um they had a water house Matter of fact, my Uncle Kevin, is here. he grew up in Sunnyside. And I remember, like, going to my cousins, and we, they'd have, like, a red wagon with uh, empty milk jugs. They'd have to fill up at the water house to, like, bring it to the house. So I'm like, this is so cool. And they're like, no, it's not. It's really, we were really just, like, running water in our community, <laughs> yeah. you, you know. Um, and so we had cousins that would uh, come from Sunnyside to live with us. And so seeing those different dynamics— um, Help, help for me, uh, so my mom was very uh, compassionate toward people who didn't have much. Mm. Uh, my dad was very much uh, wanting to give people opportunities that they didn't have because he was afforded opportunities that he wouldn't have had unless someone stepped in and um, it, it kind of helped him out, you know? And so seeing that as a young person uh, really began to shape my character and who I am and wanting to look for those People who are unfortunate, who society would call less than, and um, whatever resources I could offer, uh, help them and support them. And so that's kind of how those things, uh, growing up, kind of shaped who who I was. My parents were very intentional about teaching lessons. We had we had family dinners, uh, we had family meetings. Like they were just very intentional, uh, diligent about like sticking like. Lessons, hard lessons, to us that I probably wouldn't have got anywhere else. Hmm. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how my parents' upbringing uh, kind of morphed and shaped me yeah. as, as a young man. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about you is the way that you not only recognize and and can really uh, paint a picture of the difficulty and the trauma of other people but the fact that you're able to speak to how we address that as Christians mm-hmm. and you do very well. So what do you think is the key to uh, understanding how to see things through the eyes of someone else, especially when it comes to things like uh, you talk about people being, uh, having less than mm-hmm. you're used to having or, or seeing, you know, there's, in society we see, you know, there, are, there are people who are better off people who aren't as well off, but then there are people who have really struggled because of certain things, whether mm-hmm. that's a, uh, their uh, color of their skin or uh, they, they've they've had uh, some other disadvantage uh, in their maybe a, a financial disadvantage or maybe there's even people that we just disagree with we have a fundamental difference of opinion I mean we certainly saw that enough in the past couple of years with politics and everything mm-hmm. that was going on around us so so how do you what do you think is the key to understanding how to look at things through the eyes of, of someone else
1: yeah so first of all when it comes to politics under your bed, oh my goodness, he just said the people Um I'm a registered independent, right? (laughs) So I land like right in the middle and I call both sides hypocrites. (laughs) All right. So I land in a safe spot. Right. So I no longer I I don't take like any side. So I don't have to wait for, okay, who said that? For me to say, okay, I like that idea. Personally I think when it comes to like decisions in our government, they should literally put thoughts and in in like a jar, shake the jar up, pull them out, say what the topic is, not say what side said it, right? Uh, Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Ha ha ha, a Republican said it, ha ha ha, you know, it's (laughs) like, it's like, what? Oh, I was tricked. Tom foolery, right? And so, uh, I I think many times we're just, uh, we look for people that look like us and think like us before we make a decision, right? So being able, so politically, like, I I don't even land in that camp. Uh, I'm like, okay, how, how does this benefit, what does it benefit, way decisions, just not jump in just because um, my side has said something. Um, so that's number one. Um, the second thing is I think we take, uh, we take a play from the book of Jesus, right? Oh, definitely a good playbook to, to look at. Uh, they, uh, you know, Pharisees try to trick him. Which one of these ten is the most important? He said, "Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself." So I think the best way Jesus is calling. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and so I think um, I think the best way to uh, to approach that is to um, is to say, uh, if I'm going to love the Lord God with all my heart, mind, and soul, love my neighbor as I love myself, how do I want to be loved? Right. So I would say um, I, I would say to the audience, think back to a time that you were a least of these or a minority in your, in, in, in your life, okay? When was a consistent time that you were the minority? And now, what then gives you authority to tell minorities how to feel if, if, if you haven't been there? Next thing is this. Um... Women in the audience, all right? Think of a time when you were the minority, right? At work, uh, maybe a board meeting uh, that's male dominated. Um, How did you feel in that moment, right? So process that thought, okay? Um, Older people in the audience, think of a time when you've been the minority, right? Uh, Maybe there's not as many older people in the room making decisions. Um, maybe look at things that are happening in our, in, in our world system. Like, um, when you feel like the minority, uh, what do you want? Do you want to be heard? Do you want people to just like slow down and like think this through before you make a decision, right? Um, so when we look, when we look through those lenses, we can say, oh, uh, I might not look like this person, but if I look back through my life, there's been times where I've been a less than where I, where my voice hasn't been heard. And what did I, f- what did I feel like? What were my needs in that moment? Oh, that must be how my neighbor must feel when they feel like they are less than or not the, or not the majority. So I think we can all put ourselves in a situation or in a place where uh, we can love our neighbor well, because we actually put ourselves in our neighbor's shoes. And so I would say before we begin to tell uh, people how to feel like before we begin to make um, laws and practices and rules about the elderly, maybe we should bring some of the elderly in the room and just hear them, mm-hmm. right? Like how are we going to make decisions about elderly? Mm-hmm. You know, well, I think they should be. I think they should do this, and that's it's really like. Uh, can we can we talk about this for No, we know what's best for you, right? Right. That doesn't really make sense, right? So when we think about how our neighbor feels. Uh, first, we have to get our neighbor in the room and actually see how they feel and and get to know them and so my perspective, uh even when I think of my perspective uh, coming up from Maryland into Pennsylvania, uh, my perspective of even like people who would call themselves mennonite is vastly different from what I see here, right uh, in my area where i grow where where I live in. Uh, you can drive like five minutes um, to the left of, of of the state, and there's like a there's like plain people Mennonite type of environment, and they all had dark cars. Like we knew who they were. Um, <clears throat> I ended up getting a black Kia minivan, and drove as a substitute teacher to a school. past a farm, and there was a girl on a tricycle. She would always wave to me, like <laughs> like yes, yeah, so and I was like like waving back. Well. Uh, as it got as it got uh, warmer i had my window down and she waved to me she saw it was a black man in the car she's like oh! like i've been waving <laughs> to someone who i thought was one of our people for such a long time and so my thought of midnight was dark cars um uh, plain dress plain plain yeah. dress um bonnets you yeah. know um we keep to ourselves uh farmland like and then when I would go to Sinningside Mennonite Church, I went there, and I'm like, they were button-ups, like shorts and sandals at church. Like, what is what is going on here? Like, it was like, whoa. But see, if I wouldn't have got out of my box, out of my circle, I would have just thought, that's who Mennonites were. That's just yeah. who they all are. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't until I got to get outside of my bubble and start to see how that—because not every, not every culture, not every person is a monologue, which means not— one person speaks for the whole group. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, would be, it, it would be ridiculous of me to uh, drive, get cut off the road by uh, a white guy that's driving. And I say, all white guys can't drive, I hate white guys. It was just that one guy, right? So I think many times we don't love our neighbor well because we see one action by one group of people and we stamp approval and we're like, that's the whole culture. Instead of getting outside of our bubble, and loving our neighbor well. Now for me, getting into an environment of people that don't look like me is easy. I just have to go to the grocery store Mm -hmm. and the whole grocery store does not look like me. I go to the bank. I come to church Mm -hmm. for people that don't look look like me. So I've had years of practice with this, right? I have years of practice to get to know um, how people that don't look like me think like me, grow up like me, feel. so it may be to the side of the people in the audience to think of um, how often have you been in an environment of people that don't look like you, think like you, act like you, hmm. right? And it may take an exaggerated effort to go to Samaria, hmm. to people that don't look like you, think like you, respond like you, and get to understand how the neighbor, because yeah. Samaria is still your neighbor, right? Did you, yeah. like, did the disciples try to get out of it? But well, who's my neighbor, though? right like who who's, who's my neighbor jesus and and so he had to break it down to him who the neighbor is your neighbor is literally the person you're beside so if you're at the store it's a person you're beside um if you're if if you're out at a restaurant uh and the table doesn't look like you think like you speak like you that's your neighbor you love them as you would love yourself. so how would you want to be loved uh in in that scenario uh see so yeah, that's how yeah. Yeah, that's how i responded i mean
0: that that leads right into the next thing that i was going to ask you which is we talked about john chapter four mm. and it says that jesus had to go through samaria yes. and i know that all the p- folks here who have been in church their whole life they understood that the jews and the samaritans weren't on friendly terms right. and they didn't really interact with each other and that's why jesus told the story of the good samaritan right he didn't cross the street you know the the average jew wouldn't cross the street to help a samaritan who's lying almost dead mm-hmm. in a ditch, and and so we talked about that john chapter 4 i read some of it before we uh started here and it it just it brings up the question why is it important for us as christ followers to understand and empathize with the struggles and the difficulties of other people especially people that either don't look like us or don't think like us or or we just strongly disagree with because Mm -hmm. there's been an awful lot of strong disagreement in the world Lately, and, and I know there always is, but you see it uh, magnified by social media and the news reports and everything that's going on. You see people taking shots at each other all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, I've even seen Christians do it. Mm-hmm. So, so how is it that we as Christians, uh, why is it important for us to look at things differently? Uh, why would Jesus tell us to understand and empathize with the traumas of other people? Yeah.
1: So I think if we're going to be Christ's followers, we should follow Christ, right, it just kind of makes sense. And it's not even like, okay, what would Jesus do? It's literally what did Jesus do, right? There's many things we don't have to try to imagine what he would do, he has it laid out in scripture, right? How would Jesus respond to a crazy person that's not in the right mind? Well, we literally see his life going to a man bound by chains in a cave not in his right mind. He didn't. There's more stories of Jesus running two things hmm. that the average believer would run from. Yeah. And so if we take a play from the book of Christ, um, we want to model ourselves. And Jesus was not afraid for it to get on him. Right? Um, like, it, ew, that lifestyle might get on me. I need to stay away from it. Mm-hmm. Jesus was like, because that lifestyle's not like me, I run to it. Uh, but I run to it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, For him to even uh, associate himself with um, the woman with the issue of blood, like even, because many times we think through Scripture through the American lens and not a cultural lens of the time. So even for the woman with the issue of blood to come out from where she was, that was like, that that was a very tough decision for her to make. Um, She needed to be, you know, away from people, unclean, unclean. And um, went up, touched the hem of his garment. Jesus stopped, and then had conversation with her. Yeah. Um, that Jesus would run to lepers, like go to lepers. People were like, they, they literally put lepers on the other side of town. And when they came around you, they had to yell, leper, unclean, unclean. It's like you had pink eye. You'd have to come in this building saying, pink eye, pink eye, pink eye. And everyone's like, guess who has pink eye in the building, right? <laughs> and everybody would just know it's you. You'd be ostracized or pushed aside. Jesus ran to those people. And so, if we're going to be Christ's followers, why do we run from the people that Jesus literally says we go to? He came not into this world to condemn the world, but that all men shall be saved. Mm -hmm. He ran to people that most people would run from. Mm. And so, why do I think it's important to Jesus? Because if we're going to model him, we need to go to the people that this, see, the world system. It's supposed to run from those people. It's the world system. But as we we have a different kingdom. We 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 are in a totally different kingdom. We run to the broken, we run to the widow, we run to the orphan, uh, we run to the poor. Right? All these things are important to, to, to Jesus. Matter of fact, some people say, Lord, Lord, you know, he'd say, Depart from me and never know. Lord, Lord, like why? What's going on? Because um when when I was uh, hungry, he never fed me. When I searched, never gave me. Drink when I was, you know, in prison, you never visited. When do we see you like this, Jesus? When you did to the least of these. Yeah. You've done it unto me.
2: Yeah.
1: So whoever you consider a least of these, ew, those people, yeah. those conversations you have at your table, yeah. who are considered the least of these, Jesus is saying what you've done to the least of these, you're doing to him. Right. So when we take a play from Jesus, see Scripture just doesn't offend the homosexual, right? Scripture just doesn't offend a person living another kind of lifestyle. Scripture offends the believer. Because as a believer, I want to respond a certain way, but because I have another kingdom, I can't respond that way. It offends me. I want to get mad at certain things. I want to lash out. I want to. But because I'm a believer, I operate under another system, I can't do it because the fruit of the Spirit dwells in me. There's times I have to shut my mouth. There's I times can't, I can't just go off like I want to go off. Because of, of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, and meekness. Like, those things offend my natural, like, <laughs> default sin nature. They offend me. And so many times we're like, but Jesus flipped over tables. That's one time in Scripture it's recorded. There's so many other times where he ran to the broken. Right? How, there's The people that were in uh, opposition of Christ were Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, and religious rulers. They hated him. The sinner ran to Jesus.
2: Yeah.
1: The sinner ran to Jesus. The sinner knew they were welcomed around Christ. Not that he would stamp approval on actions, because then he would say, "Go and sin no more." But he was that approachable that the non-believer ran to him.
2: Hmm.
1: The people that were offended by Christ were the religious people. They that's why that's why they wanted to like kill him. You know, yeah. he was taking their people from and taking the respect, and so. I I I would say, what group of people do you offend? <laughs> do you offend the people that Jesus ran to, or do you offend the people who were offended by Jesus? Hmm. If so, I would say that's how you can kind of look at yourself and say, Am I living a life like Jesus? Yeah. Uh, are there is a religious yeah. crowd offended by me? Jesus broke religious rules. He broke. Listen, to that Jesus broke religious rules. We, like we we understand that, right? He broke religious rules. Don't uh, uh, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Like the law that they could even go outside. If they went outside, they would like um, hit a blade of grass. The seed would germinate. It was considered work. So you couldn't go outside. Right? Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. Well, you can't. Dude, that's a, that's a religious rule. He broke religious rules for the sake of broken humanity. Mm-hmm. He broke religious rules For the sake of broken humanity. Hmm. We, as followers of Jesus, we have got to see broken humanity. And we have to look at ourselves and we got to say, what rules am I upholding that I push broken humanity aside? Hmm. Whatever that is, I would say that Jesus would be opposed by you. He broke religious rules for the sake of broken humanity
0: man there's so much more that I want to ask you so much more that I want to talk about but our time's almost up so I'm going to I'm going to head us down to the last question on our uh-huh. on our list here and that is and maybe you're already starting to answer it what do you think Jesus would say to the church if he were standing here physically right now what would he say to the the larger church in America what what would Jesus have to say if he was standing in front of us right now
1: um what would you say to the American church he would say the American church is nowhere in Scripture. <laughs> uh, he would say there is no American Jesus. There is no American God. He would say, look through everything through the lens of Christ. If if you are if you are if you identify yourself more as a uh, more as I'm with Caesar, more than I'm with Christ, we got a problem. Uh, they try to say they try to get Jesus again. He's like. So would do with this he said man just get the caesars with caesar gives get the god with god let's just go heal some people right like you guys can deal with that we're just gonna we're gonna go to the next village uh we're just gonna we're just gonna find some people and we're gonna love on some people uh, so i say jesus would look at the american church and, and jesus <laughs> I, I i think jesus would look at the american church and say you've had a plan for a um a virus that you didn't know of and you knew how to exit the church, you knew how to do online giving, you learned how to go online with your services, you learned how to come back safely, mm. you learned how to transition well, and you learned how to do all this in a matter of a year, but you're still having problems with the age-old issue of how do we deal with our neighbor.
2: Mm.
1: Why is that? Why are we at a plan to deal with a unseen virus and we've had an exit strategy and a way strategy and an enter and an entry strategy for something we have just learned about, but we still don't know how to love our neighbor who we see. Mm -hmm. And Jesus say, I have that problem with the American church. Um, To say that there is an American church or an American Jesus would take a playbook from the Mormons. And so we don't we don't operate under that system, we operate under the man from Galilee. <laughs> you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's who we take play. That's what we take playbook. That's yeah. what we take a play from the book of. What did so Jesus do? What What did Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Like what did he do? Um, I, I I would say he would say, Do you look like Do you look like little Christians, walking here on earth? going toward the broken. You see yourself breaking uh, religious traditions. Uh, that, that's, this is when I think he said yeah. he came to bring a sword to divide like mother, father, sister, brother, right? And I think that sword was because when he came in, people had this religious view of how things should be. But we do this and we act this way and we don't do this, we don't do that. We don't look like them. We do this on, we do this. Do, he came and he just brought a sword and people were like, we're going two lepers now? Like, well, we don't do that. And I can imagine, like, the adults in, in yeah. a room saying, No, no, Bobby. Well, no Jewish person ain't Bobby. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but, like, we're we'll, we'll going Bobby. No, Bobby, we don't go to lepers. We, you, you, were, you were raised to know better. We don't do that. But Jesus says that we, No, we're not doing that in this house. Yeah. We don't do that. We don't love those people. And I think that's the sword that he came with. He came with his sword to divide old tradition with thoughts of Christ. To break religious rules for the sake of broken humanity. That's why I think he was saved to the American church. It's
0: hard to break out of our comfort.
1: It's hard. It? Yeah, we're comfortable. I mean, we got first world problems. We got like there's literally people like, man, Jesus coming back, man. You know the issues is going on in America? You know, people are being burned at the stake in other countries. You know there's underground churches, people being martyred. But man, they're trying to put like different genders in bathrooms. You know, people are literally getting killed for the cause of Christ in other countries. But Jesus is coming back because of issues in America. Those are first world problems. And Jesus would say, you need to understand that Christianity is not American. That there is a a kingdom church, a big C church, that is all across the world. And we have our mindset on, on just our perspective on what we lived at and we think the whole world operates like our system does yeah. if it doesn't it's wrong but we need to look through the life of Christ and that should be our measuring stick yeah. not not our first world problems the life of Christ should be our measuring stick. how do we measure up with the life of Christ
0: yeah there's always gonna be first world problems that that don't really matter in the grand scope of eternity uh, the spiritual issues that we have to deal with and then there are spiritual sin issues involved in some of the things that you have mentioned too and maybe we can touch on more of that in our question and answer sure. time because of uh, how jesus approached people who were in different situations of sin and, and what that says to us about as christians what we do when we face that kind of situation Indeed. yes well thank you tyree for for going through this with me because uh, i think that these conversations are the ones that we don't have unless we mean to have them right we don't right. have these intentional conversations uh, by accident, right. you know, intentional and accident. They're opposites. So right. so uh, here we are this morning having a great conversation. And I just want to I want to pray for you and bless you with the work that you're doing. And our, I thank you for bringing all this to us. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with you in the Absolutely. next step hour. Thank you. Father, thank you for Tyree. I, I thank you for this man that, that loves you so much because it is evident that his desire is to serve you and, and that he wants to see people changed by the power of your your amazing work in our lives, that he wants to pray for people and care for people and share the gospel with them. And that is what we're called to do, Lord. And I, I just bless Tyree for that. I thank you that you have uh, given him this uh opportunity to speak to youth and to churches and to others who are trying to make their way in this world as we're surrounded by the turmoil and the social pressures and 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 everything that we see lord i ask that you'd lead him and i ask that you would lead us to be more like jesus in jesus name we pray amen Amen. thank Thank you you. brother we are we are going to continue our conversation in the second next steps hour i just want to give you a couple of notes here about what's going to happen uh coffee and tea are going to be available out in the lobby you're going to have an opportunity to go get them but if you're a member of the church we'd ask you to stick around for a few minutes first as we do a quick congregational meeting to approve some bylaw changes and then you can head out you can get your coffee and tea and get ready for the